Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Some of the high school students here in our church just finished a book about Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and three other missionaries who in January of 1956 arrived on the shore of a beach in Ecuador after months of trying to kind of prep the people there for their landing, their first attempt to take the gospel to this unreached people group, and instead they were all speared to death. But that's not the end of the story, though. See, Elizabeth Elliot and Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, they go back there, and they brought the gospel to those people. And many of them converted. And Steve Saint, Nate's son, writes more of the story in his book, End of the Spear, that these people who had known nothing but vengeance, nothing but kill the stranger who enters your area, nothing but take vengeance on the tribes that wrong you, they had become Christian. So much so that Nate, Saint's murderer, became dear friends with his son Steve. It's quite an astonishing thing, really, when you think about it. That you could become friends with the man who murdered your father, who had done nothing but show up on a beach to bring them the gospel. And that's exactly what happens. So today I want to look at this because it's a beautiful illustration of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus sets before us two paths. We can be a part of the city of vengeance, or we can be a part of the city of brotherhood, the city of forgiveness. Our gospel reading begins with Peter thinking he's being quite generous. He says, hey, how often do I need to forgive someone? Seven times? Because that seems like a lot. I mean, if someone does the same sin to you seven times, you forgive them seven times, there should be a limit on that, right? It's like we should stop it there. What's interesting is our Lord's answer, which says not seven times, but 70 times seven was not meant for you in your mind to go, well, that's 490. I'm going to keep track until 490, and then I don't have to forgive him again. The point is, with those numbers, is that you would lose track. You would not remember how often they had sinned against you. But there's several other ways those numbers are used in the Bible that are quite important. The first one is that Lamech had said, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. Lamech was going to build his city upon vengeance. If you wrong him, you will suffer the consequences. There's no forgiveness there, only vengeance, only death. But vengeance is the way of the world. It is the way of our sinful flesh. And it is a fundamental principle of civilization throughout history. Not just those tribes in Ecuador who murder one another, but throughout world history. We see this some of us will be starting soon the plays of Aeschylus, the Greek tragedies. They're built upon this very idea. Many of you are familiar with Hamlet. How does that end? Everyone is dead. All of them. Perhaps in the American context, the one we're almost familiar with, to the point that Bugs Bunny and Looney Tunes could do a show about this and people understood it, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Violence begets violence. The principle is mutually assured destruction. You harm me, I will harm you. You kill one of mine, I will kill one of yours. We will make sure that the blood price is paid. 
But in the end, just like in Hamlet, everybody dies. As Jesus said, he who lives by the sword will indeed die by the sword. But we're fooling ourselves if we think we've outgrown this. If we think we've outgrown Lamech's legacy. If we think that we're so civilized now that we don't operate on principles of vengeance, we're above that. Look at what happens in Jesus' parable. This man who owed 10,000 talents, which literally is a myriad of talents. In the minds of the first hearers, they would have heard that as basically infinity. An infinity of talents. An amount they could not fathom. Because they could live thousands of thousands of lives and not make that much money. So when you hear 10,000 talents, whatever number is so big in your mind, you know you can never repay it, go with that. Because that's the point. In fact, one account says the entire region, that this amount would have covered their salaries for over 100,000 years. To give you an idea of how much money this is. So the king confronts him and says, you owe this much. And the man says, well, be patient with me. Don't throw me in debtor's prison. I will pay it back. He's not ever going to pay it back. That's an impossibility. He knows it. But he appeals for mercy. And the king says, you're forgiven. The debt is completely wiped out. It's done. It's gone. Rather than rejoicing that his debt had been forgiven, rather than going out there with a heart filled with joy, he turns around and finds a fellow servant who owes him basically a day's wages. That is, something that could be repaid if given time. And the man says the same thing to him he had said to the king. Have patience with me, and I will repay it. Except for he actually could. Instead of saying, you know what, I have just forgiven this massive debt. How could I do anything but forgive you? It's nothing compared to what I owed. He grabs him by the throat and says, pay what you owe. And he has him thrown into prison. So what's the point? How often do you seek to get vengeance? How often do you lash out at others to make them pay for what they've done to you? What about when your spouse embarrasses you? What about when your parents are too demanding? Or what about parents when you discipline your children surely out of anger because you're embarrassed of how they made you look? How often at work or in your social life or in your school, in your family, do you want them to pay and suffer for what they've done to you? How often have you come to this rail and you've received Christ's very body and blood in your mouth for the forgiveness of your sins, saying you're united with the people at this rail, and then turned around and left this sanctuary upset and angry at something someone had done to you and gone to them and spoken to them out of anger? That's what Jesus is saying happens. That the one who received forgiveness treated it as nothing. That immediately receives forgiveness, forgets he had received it, and turns around and he wants vengeance. He wants to make the guy pay. Lamech is alive and well in our sinful flesh. Here's the problem with this way of thinking, though. The problem with 
vengeance. The problem with a city of fellowship built upon vengeance is that everything is determined by what's happened in the past, which means there can never be anything new. You can never break the cycle. The same thing keeps happening over and over and over again until something does step in and break the cycle. Until the gospel comes in and makes all things new, makes people new. That is Jesus' point. That those who have received forgiveness, they now don't have to take vengeance on others. They don't need to lash out at others. They don't need to get payback because now they stand and live in forgiveness and they can pass that forgiveness on to others. It is indeed a new kind of city. It is his kingdom built upon forgiveness. It's as we heard as we sang Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. For brothers to put aside vengeance and be reconciled. This is not, it is not a matter of having kind feelings towards the other person. We should have those. But those are byproducts of forgiveness. Forgiveness comes first, and those feelings come later, and sometimes, let's be honest, those feelings come much later. Perhaps months, perhaps even years later, depending on what's been done to us. But what forgiveness does is it takes vengeance off the table. It removes it. Jim Elliott had a gun in his pocket that day they were on the beach. But they had decided beforehand that no matter what happened, they would not and could not use violence when they were trying to take the gospel to these people. Vengeance was taken off the table. They would not get back at them. They would not take their pound of flesh, even if it cost them their lives. And because this is so hard, Jesus has to give us a very explicit parable, an explicit warning about the dangers of not doing this. Because it does require death. It requires dying to yourself. It requires dying to vengeance. It requires you leaving it in God's hands. It requires letting the past die. And that's not easy. So we seek not to get even. Instead, we release the debt. We let the debt go. We don't make them pay back. We lay aside all plans to even the score. We suffer, as Jesus says elsewhere, we suffer the second slap to the face after receiving the first. This is true, by the way, and I know you'll differently, but this tends to be the Lutheran view. Even if the person's not repentant, you let go of your desire of vengeance. You let go of your desire to make them pay you back. You let, desire, let go of the desire to get your pound of flesh. Because even if they don't want it, it's still good for your soul, still good for your conscience to not become bitter and angry and consumed and trapped in a prison of your own making with these things. But forgiveness is not an end in itself. The goal of forgiveness is restored communion with that person, is reconciliation, is brotherhood. That is not always possible. Yes, that is true. But it doesn't mean it's not the goal. Peace rules when we confess our sins, when we forgive one another. 
This is how Christ builds his new community, how he builds his new city, how he builds his kingdom. So we hear in Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as far as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. And you say, well, great, that's how God treats us, but how can we do that to one another? Well, Paul says, we bear with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. And because, again, because this is so hard, Jesus says very bluntly, and again, I want to be clear, this is not hyperbole. Jesus is not like playing the what-if game. Jesus is being very clear. So my heavenly Father will also do to you, which is what? Hand you over to the torturers until you pay the last debt. That is forever. If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. You see, at the very heart of original sin, at the very heart of it is, in our heart of hearts, we want to be God, we want to be judge. And especially we want to be God and judge over others. So that we can take vengeance on them, so we can declare they are not forgiven, but indeed damned to hell. That's why Jesus warns us not to do that. To not stand above others and damn them to hell before the true judge does it. Forgiveness requires us to die to this desire in our hearts to be God, to play judge. Instead, it lets God be God. It lets God be the judge. It lets God determine what is the appropriate punishment for the sin. One of the fascinating things about this parable is that this is not, this is not an end-of-your-life kind of parable. Jesus has those. This is God coming to you, confronting you with your sin in your life now before Judgment Day, calling to you account in your conscience for your sins so you can look at them properly, so you can look at what you've done, see how wicked it is, realize what you owe God, and confess your sins. This is God being merciful towards you by calling you to account before the Day of Judgment giving you an opportunity to confess, to call out for mercy, to call out for patience, and to receive forgiveness. And that forgiveness too, as our forgiveness towards others, required a death. Required the death of God's only Son. It is Christ's death, it is His forgiveness that we need, not just to cover our own sins, but so that we might forgive others. Now, I mentioned earlier that this 70 times 7 language is elsewhere in the Bible, and there's two key parts where it comes up. In Daniel chapter 9, it talks about this prophecy of the 70 weeks, which is kind of an interesting prophecy. But for our purposes, the interesting part is that at the end of it, the reason for the 70 weeks is that's to make an end to sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to anoint the most holy. Jesus, when he says these words, knows what he's saying. In him, this vengeance cycle is brought to an end. In him, there is forgiveness. In him, there is reconciliation with God and with man. 
So too, the other part point where this comes up is in Leviticus 25 about the year of Jubilee. Remember, in the Jubilee year, you are to let go of all debts, to set every debt against you free. And so too, Jesus comes and fulfills that and sets us free as well. And so our lives of forgiveness, first and foremost, have to be united to the reality of forgiveness in Christ. Otherwise, it never happens. We get caught up in that cycle of vengeance just like everyone else. Just like those so-called backwards tribes who will just kill at the drop of a hat. Christ's forgiveness flows into our lives and into the lives of those around us. And then the irony here is, the kind of beautiful irony here is, Whereas we wanted to play God by being judge over others and condemning them and taking vengeance for sins done against us. When you forgive, you're being far more like God. When you forgive, you're truly being godlike. When you forgive and don't take vengeance, you are doing exactly what Christ came to do. What God wants for us and wants for all people. The forgiveness of sins. So here, this morning, today, the king is pardoning you. In Christ Jesus, you have the full forgiveness of all your sins from God the Father. And he's brought you into this new city. This new city of forgiveness, this city of brotherhood, this heavenly kingdom. And in this place, the pardon and forgiveness of sins, that's what reigns supreme. That's what rules in this place. God in his grace and mercy. And so that we do not end up with the tortures, we act like our king. The king who forgives. The king who loves. The king who does not take vengeance upon himself, but instead dies in our place. We all know there is a final day of judgment coming. But that is only for those who have rejected this forgiveness, who have rejected this love and grace and mercy. Christ says, you have it now. Cling to it. Hold on to it. Live in it. It is yours. Amen. Amen. The peace of God passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.